We hope you enjoy this message recorded at Equipus Church in Eden. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com. So good to be in this awesome atmosphere of friendship and godliness. You know, I, I'm in a different church every Sunday. I'm away every single weekend, uh, right through to nearly the end of next year. And um, five years ago, I handed my church over to the next generation because I felt God say, every generation has to raise the next. And so we handed over an international ministry. I, I had no idea, you know, when God tells you to do something, He doesn't always give you the details. He just says, do it. I go, okay, I've always had a yes posture. Yes first. However, God, you better explain it to me. And, and then He told me to give up my salary, my car allowance, my everything, and start living by faith. And I had no idea what that was going to look like. Um, and so five years later, God has been unbelievably faithful. I still don't have a website because I've been too busy to put one together. I don't have a PA or an office. I've just been on the road pastoring and fathering leaders, pastors and leaders and churches, helping people understand the patterns of God's Word because I hate churchianity. (laughs) There is a difference between churchianity and Christianity. One is relationship, churchianity, and the other one is religion. And I don't like religion. I went to church nine months before I was born. And so, you know, I'm a third generation preacher of five generations serving Jesus. And my grandfather uh, was totally converted to Christ as a young man after the war, the Second World War in Italy, and started a church on his farm. And uh, so that's how many generations of serving Jesus. So I've seen it all. You know, I've been in deacon-possessed churches. Uh, uh, You know, um, I've seen all the stuff, you know, uh, and... uh, Out of it all, I've seen trophies of God's grace. Uh, You know, I had a dream one night. I was just laying in bed in 1994. I've been to bed since, but in 1994, I was laying in bed one night having started a brand new church, had no idea how to lead a church. I mean, I did it according to the Scriptures. Never let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. I had no idea on how to lead a church. And I had a dream. And I saw this big mantelpiece. It was a huge marble uh, mantelpiece. Now Italians, you know, they love marble, you know. In fact, they love cement. You know, in Australia, the Italians, they came, they saw, they concreted. And I mean, it was just, just the way the Italians are. So I see this big mantelpiece and it had trophies on it. Now you take one look at my body. I haven't won too many trophies, you know. Although I did go to the rugby last night. That was great. Had a great night. And the team won from down here. So Fantastic. But, you know, I'd never won too many races in my life and I saw all these trophies. And in the middle of the dream, I asked God, what are all those trophies on the mantelpiece? He said, they are broken but open lives of people that I'm going to turn into trophies of my grace. And so over the last few years, I've seen God do some amazing miracles in people's lives. But we've also experienced some really sad times. You know, I... I I won't lie to you, Uh, life has been really tough the last couple of years because two years ago uh, we lost our son, Chris, 
39 years of age, was killed by a lightning strike at a youth camp, a church youth camp, as a youth pastor, rounding up other children and other young people, not so much children, but teenagers and young people to get them in from a storm. And while he was rounding them up, he got hit by a lightning strike and was killed instantly. And we have four little grandchildren without a daddy. Yeah, I pretty well cry every day for certain times, you know, because I still miss him very, very deeply. I always will. And, uh, you know, the tragedies that come that sometimes you can't get your head around. And, you know, yesterday I sent a, a happy Mother's Day to my wife and, and it's hard to know what to say because she's navigating losing a son. And she sends me a text back saying, I've just been to the graveside because uh, her mum's buried there as well. And to uh, just honour her mum with some flowers on the gravestone and then sat at my son's gravestone uh, with a can of Coke. He was a naughty boy. He drank a lot of junk food. Uh, drank a lot of junk food. He ate a lot of junk food and drank a lot of Coke and, and, and with a can of Coke and a cherry ripe. And she goes, I just went and saw Chris. And as soon as I got that text, I fell apart and just couldn't stop crying. And, and I began to be thankful in my heart for my wife who loves Jesus with all her heart. And in a moment, I'm going to show you how we've navigated that journey and know that Jesus is good and Jesus is God. And in the midst of all the pain, we don't live for eternity. We live from eternity. We come from eternity. Do you know I'm going to be alive a lot less without my son than I was 39 years with him. And it seems like yesterday we took him home from hospital. And so let me tell you, don't live for just what happens under the sun. You need to live for what happens above the sun because Solomon tried. Yeah, come on, give God praise. So, I so want to come down here. But Solomon, uh, Solomon tried everything under the sun. The Bible says he tried everything, you know, the money, the, the relationships, the drinking, tried everything under the sun. And he said, it all sucketh, the whole lot. If you read it in the old King James, it all sucketh. And uh, that's, what, that's what you are, Shane Willard. He'll tell you that's the uh, Hebrew word, sucketh. <laughs> the trouble with Solomon is he never tried anything above the sun. He tried everything under the sun. He knew God as creator, but he did not know him personally. And so I want to tell you, churchianity did not help me when my son died. Um, what other people know about God did not help me when my son died. It's what I knew without a shadow of a doubt about God that helped me when our son died. You know, shortly after he passed away, I thought I'm not going to be able to preach again. I'm not going to be able to cope with the pain of losing a son I loved so dearly. We'd had challenges in our relationship over certain periods of time, but we'd come to a place where we absolutely loved each other and seen God restore. And you know, you, we got to do this while we're alive, friends. You can't wait till it's too late to put our relationships right. That's why Christians should never hang on to hurts and grudges. We need to heal things while we can. Tonight, I'm going to speak on dealing with insecurity and rejection. And, uh, and I want you to come out tonight because I want to pray with so many of us because I have dealt with all those, still deal with those insecurities and rejections that come from other people's expectations. But I want to tell you, I know what God thinks about me. And in the midst of my pain, that had to carry me. And shortly after Chris passed away, 39 years of age, on the 22nd of January 2016, I sat in a chair not knowing what to do, not knowing who to talk to, not knowing who to turn and ask for help and, and 
find that inner help that would last the distance in my life. And I remember sitting one day, six weeks after my son had passed away, I'm sitting in a chair and these words came into my head, sit, stand, sing, serve. Sit, stand, sing, serve. And God said to me, there's a time in all our lives where you have to sit and let other people carry us because we haven't got a clue what's going on and that's okay. God's okay for us to have seasons in our life where we can't understand why our husband passes away on the weekend at a time when he's just getting ready to retire together as a family. There are times we just do not understand. I remember God asking me a question, will you trust my sovereignty when there is no clarity? Will you trust my sovereignty when there is no clarity? But you know, there comes a time you've got to stand. You can't sit forever. And if you've got nothing to stand on, then you're not going to know what to do. And I'm glad that in the good seasons of my life, I put the right things into my life so that when I needed to pull them out at a time that I had to stand again, I could do it because I can sit in my doubt. And I doubted a whole lot of things about God when my son died, even though Christians die every day. Ladies and gentlemen, we live on a fallen planet. And the planet is cursed. And when we become Christians, the curse is broken over our spirit, but not over the planet. Otherwise, the minute you become a Christian, you should stop aging. Because aging is part of the curse. Death is part of the curse. Our spirit is born again. But one day there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. The day my son passed away, he was preaching that evening at seven o'clock. He died at 2.30 in the afternoon. In the morning, he wrote an outline for a message he was going to preach that night. There are storms out there. It is dark. What is God? What are you going to do? Who are you going to trust? Keep your eyes on eternity were the last words he wrote and he passed away that afternoon at 2.30 in the afternoon. Sit, stand. There had to come a time I had to stand on the things I knew about God personally because I've had a personal faith and then I could sing again. Though the fig tree does not blossom and there be no fruit on the vine, yet will I rejoice in the God of my salvation. You see, the Bible says when you have a heaven's perspective you rejoice in the Lord always for Danny Guglamucci I couldn't sing I couldn't rejoice so I had to rechoice every day I had to rechoice to rejoice because rejoice isn't singing it's a posture that says I'm going to trust him no matter what because I know him to be personal in my life and so therefore I'm not going to use churchianity to help me because that's not going to help me. It's Christianity. Do you know if you take Christ out of Christian, you've only got Ian? <laughs> There's only Ian and Ian's not going to help me. I need Christ, Ian, Christian. And so... Then I could serve again because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every song we've sung this morning lines up with the overall thinking that I have for this meeting today. I want to thank all the mums for being great mums. Can you imagine Mary, the mother of Jesus, having the most unexpected interruption come to your life, being told you're going to give birth to the Son of God when you're a virgin? That's a, an incredible interruption to your day. That's an incredible uh, life's interruption. But can you imagine her at the foot of the cross 
watching the very boy that she gave birth to now being crucified. And not only is she seeing the Saviour of the world being crucified, it was her boy. And there's something inside a mother's heart that can live with such incredible contrasts and still hang on to faith. They took six T-shirts that my son used to wear and made them into pillowcases and gave them to my wife and I. I can't hold them without crying, but my wife holds those pillowcases, those pillows in bed at night, listening to him preach on podcast, looking at his photos and honouring God for the privilege of having been his mum. Mums, we respect you today and honour what you carry that you can live with so many contrasts. But I remember God saying to me, Danny, there's a time you've got to sit. There's a time you've got to stand and trust the things you do know about God so you can sing again and rechoice to serve Him. And then the resurrection means there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth where there'll be no cancer, there'll be no sorrow, there'll be no pain. And that is the hope of Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But as I travel around Australia, around the world, I am shocked at the number of people that go to the church of the some say. Some say this, some say this, some say, you've got to listen to Stephen Furtick, he's unbelievable. Some say, you've got to listen to T.D. Jakes, boy, he's incredible. Some say, do you know how many people listen to what some say? Nothing wrong with that. But what do you say? What do you know? It's amazing how many people go to church and they don't say, what does Will say? What does Desiree say? Thank you for your amazing hospitality, by the way. You guys are awesome. And we're having Italian lunch together today. I can't wait. So it's going to be fantastic. But uh, Lord saved me from a lot of things, but eating wasn't included. You know, uh, I went to the doctor the other day and I said, doctor, you've got to understand obesity runs in our family. And he goes, looking at you, sir, nobody runs in your family. And so, oh, I thought that's not very good. You know, the Bible says you have many, many instructors, but not too many fathers. See, podcasts can instruct you, but can't father you. Instagram can encourage you, but it can't father you. And there's such a loss of father, heart of God in the church and in the local church, it's wonderful to have people that can father us and be there. I don't know where I'd be without the church when my son passed away as people from all over the world. And because we'd had a lot to do in our city, the government of our city, the media in our city, all gathered around us and held our arms up because we'd been putting so much into the community. Now they're giving back to us in our time of great sorrow. But as good as that is, I cannot do life on what some say. I've got to know what I say. And too many people today are walking out on church and working, walking out on God when something goes wrong. Well, if that's God, where was He when my husband died? Where was God when that happened? You know, I've led more people to Christ whose kids have committed suicide. Do you know I have not preached in a church in two years where there hasn't been someone that's lost a loved one, a child especially, over 2,000 people I've prayed for in two years that have lost their kids that I didn't even know those pains were sitting in church. Not the 
the people being pain, but that pain sitting in people's lives in church on a Sunday. And I want to tell you, friends, it breaks my heart. I wish my son hadn't passed away. But you see, at the age of 11, I remember I was in this little Italian church. My father was the pastor. It was pretty weird kind of church. I was 11 and everybody in the church was really old. I mean, they were about 30, you know. (laughs) When you're 11... Man, I'm the ancient of days, you know, right now. But, uh, you know, in my 60s, but, you know, 11 years of age in a boring prayer meeting. I used to hate going on. I never told my friends that my dad was a pastor. I told them that he was a butcher. Now, I didn't, I didn't totally lie because Italians kill a pig once a year and make prosciutto and they make ham. And, and, and so my dad used to do his own slaughtering of an animal once a year to make the family sausages. And so I tell people my dad was a butcher, not a pastor, because I went to one of those weird churches. They called my auntie the ambulance because every time she felt God's presence, she'd go, Woo! I'm not going to bring my friends to that weird church where people do crazy things. But there I was, 11 years of age, drawing a cartoon of my grandfather, not bothering about what was going on in the prayer meeting and the power of God hit my life. At the age of 11, I got filled with God's Holy Spirit. I began to speak in a language nobody had ever taught me in worship to God. And at the age of 11, in a little Baptist church that we used to hire, I had my first encounter to discover who I know he is, not what others. You see, a lot of years have come and gone. I remember when our church grew to several thousands and I had over 90 staff. And one day I said to the staff, I want to go back to that Baptist church that I've never been back to since I was a little kid. We managed to get the keys and we went into that church and the place was packed with our staff. I used to think in my head this was the biggest church in town as a little kid. But it's this tiny little Baptist church. I still remembered the crack in the wall. It was still there. All these, you know, the smell of the carpet, the wooden pews. And I stood there and I pointed to the pew, the front row pew. And I said to my staff, right there, right there. That's where it started. That's where Jesus put his hand on my life. And I've had many, many suddenlies with him in my everydays. You do your everyday with pain, up and down, up and down issues, church issues, church politics. And then there's a suddenly. And then there's another suddenly. You know, Moses is in the back end of the desert looking after his father-in-law's sheep, not even his own sheep. And then suddenly. You know, if you do your everyday well, God is in charge of the suddenlies. And he will bring the suddenlies and he will bring the one days. And we've been to hell and back. Uh, One of our son, many many of you know our son, Michael, who wrote the song Healer, who had a major mental breakdown, emotional and spiritual, went into deception, sexually broken, brought so much shame on the body of Christ. And now 10 years later, that boy has been totally healed and restored by God. They couldn't have children. They've had three little girls. The same guy that wrote Healer and I was there the night he wrote the song. And even when he finished writing it with tears running down his face, I had to live with the fact that churches stopped singing that song because of his brokenness and yet it was his cry for help as he was crying out to God and we had no idea. But now 10 years later, he's written a song with so much power and it goes, in the midst of my mistakes, I drown in oceans of your grace. And so, you know, God has not given up on that boy and I want to tell you, I want a church that's broken but open, a church that can own its brokenness but 
be open before God. But in the midst of all the stuff that's happened in our lives, if I had a career called Christianity, if I had a career called Christian leadership, I would have careered off the edge of the cliff. But I wanna tell you, my friends today, that God is personal to me. And I wanna show you something this morning that I pray you will never, ever forget and uh, never, ever lose this because it's a description of what I've lived out. Do you know this morning I'm not giving you a sermon? I'm giving you who I am because we transfer who we are, not what we say. And so what I'm going to share with you will work for you. This is a 100% guarantee because not only has it worked for me, it worked for Peter in the Bible. And I want to read from Matthew 16 from the Message Bible, where it says, When Jesus arrived in the villages of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, What are people saying about who the Son of Man is? They, some say, they say, some say John the Baptizer. Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But he pressed them, how about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Listen to this. Jesus came back. God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You did not get that answer out of books or from teachers. My Father in heaven, God Himself, let you in on the secret of who I really am. And now I'm going to tell you who you are, who you really are. You are Peter a rock and this is the rock on which I will build my church. A church so expensive, I mean expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. That's not all. You'll have complete and free access to God's kingdom. Keys to open any and every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth. Earth and heaven, a yes on earth is a yes in heaven. A no on earth is a no in heaven. Two incredible questions. Jesus in Caesarea Philippi surrounded by images of all the different gods that were around in that day stops and asks the congregation of disciples, who do people say that I am? Church of the some say. What do some say? But then he stops there and for a moment and goes, but who do you say? And only Peter comes back with revelation. We've got too many churches being built out of reason. And only a few verses later, the same Peter tells Jesus, don't go to the cross. I'll look after you. You don't have to do what you say you're going to do and die for us. That's not necessary. We'll take care of you. And he says, get thee behind me, Satan, for your thinking from a human point of view. This church, and I'm prophesying now, is not going to be built on people's intellect or the realm of reason or the greatness of the preaching as good as it is. It's going to be built on who do you as a church say? Who do the leaders of your church say by revelation who God is and what the call of God on this house is? Because God would rather someone that can hardly get the words out and live and speak out of revelation that someone that can stand up here with the eloquent preaching and understanding and I've given up on my seven points and my introduction and my application that sends you out that door and your heart's had no transformation and there's been no change and we just go from intellect to intellect, from understanding to understanding and there's no revelation of what God is saying to the congregation. And so Peter has this revelation. 
You didn't get it out of books, Pete. You got it straight from heaven. I love motor cars. And I used to buy and sell cars years ago. It was a bit of a hobby. I used to restore. I've restored an old Mustang and then sold it. And I wish I could still do it now. But this was years ago. I just love motorsport. One day, I'm looking for a new car. It was a VB Commodore I was looking for, which some of you wouldn't even know what that is. And it was a Calais and it was a V8. And I said to one of my friends, I'm looking for a VB, V8, uh, Calais V8. Do you know anybody? If you hear of anything, he rings me one day, he goes, Danny, you're not going to believe this. I found the car you want in immaculate condition. It is awesome. It's owned by an 80-year-old man. And he's going to retire. The car's done very few mileage. It is brilliant. I've seen the car and he only wants 7000 And back then that car should have been worth about thirteen. He goes, $7,000, he's got to move it quickly. If you don't take it, I will. On my friend's recommendation, I said, I'll have it. Put it aside for me and I'll take it. I eventually went and picked the car up. It looked great, paid the money. And a few weeks later, I've got to go and pick someone up from the airport. I didn't have time to clean it myself. I don't usually take the car through the car wash. And as I went through the car wash, the entire car filled up with water as... They were washing the car. I thought, what on earth is this? This is no baptismal service today we're having here. (laughs) And what happened was that little old man was a front for his son's crooked crash repair business. And that car had been two cars chopped in half and joined together illegally. And that car I never drove again after that day as it was taken off the road. And that business was shut down and the little old man was lying because he was selling cars on behalf of his son's bad crash repair business. You see, I went on the recommendation of some say. I went on the recommendation of what some say. Oh, you gotta get, oh, you gotta go to this church, man. It's unbelievable. Now, some some says are good. So not all bad. And maybe you came to the church because someone said, come, it's great. But when you have a tragedy in your life, some say it's not going to be enough. It's got to be what you say, what you know. And I learned a lesson that day that I can't go by somebody else's recommendation. So because of time, let me move on. About seven or eight weeks ago, I get a phone call. I get a phone call from a guy I grew up with who's not walking with Jesus, but he's got a very successful business in our city. He rings me up and he goes, Danny, we need you right now to come. I said, what do you mean? He said, my daughter, she's 19 and she's suicidal. You know how beautiful our daughter is? And yet she thinks she's fat. She thinks she's ugly. She thinks she's not worth living. She's got a beautiful boyfriend. She's done well at university. She's working in the family business and yet she's on depression medication and she doesn't want to live and we don't know where to turn and we trust you. Will you come and talk to our daughter? I got in the car. I drove down to the place where the business was and we sat together. There was mum and dad and the daughter. I said, look at you. We'll call her Stephanie. That's not her name. I said, look at you, Stephanie. You look awesome. You're pretty. You're gorgeous. Not that we look at the outside anyway, but that's gorgeous. You are. Why do you hate yourself? I hate myself. I look in the mirror and I hate who I am. And I'm going, really? I said, I'm so sorry. I said, you know, I'm going to say something to you that if it isn't true, I'm abusing you in front of your mum and dad, and I'm adding to your pain. I grabbed both her hands, 19 years old. I said, you're gorgeous. This is the truth. But I'm going to tell you what God thinks of you. Do you believe in God? 
She goes, yes, I do, but I don't think he likes me either. I grab her hands and I start talking to her about the love of God and something supernatural takes place at that table in front of mum and dad. I said, can I pray with you that this truth will become a reality to you? She goes, yes, please. Well, she got baptised a couple of weeks back. Her brother's come to the Lord. I've broken up the relationship because she doesn't want her boyfriend to follow her. It has to be his decision, but he's still coming to church with her. Mum and dad have been coming back in church. And I went home, ladies and gentlemen, and I was so moved and I was drawn back to the Scripture. You know, who do people say that I am, but who do you say that I am? And these five words came into my head. I want you to write them down if you can. If we can put them on screen, please. Number one is deity. Number two is identity. Number three is destiny. Number four is authority. And number five is victory. This is my testimony today. This is the story of my life. I just couldn't put it in these words. Let me explain. You see, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God means we don't connect to just a good teacher or a good prophet or a good religious figure. He is deity, which means God, the Godhead. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. At the age of 11, in that little Baptist church, I found who deity was. But then when you discover who deity is, He will show you your identity. Because He goes, listen, Peter, now that you know who I am, I'm going to show you who you are. Whether people have transgender issues, and I'm very sensitive to these subjects. I work with people in these areas. Whether we have issues of, am I male, am I female, what have you, if you do not find your identity in what God says about you, no amount of changing anything is gonna change your identity. And our world is confused today because we don't have a God who's our deity anymore. And therefore we can't have a clear identity anymore. Hey, Peter, because now you know who I am, I'm going to show you who you are, identity. Not only that, Pete, I've got a job for you to do. I get really ticked when Christians chase the will of God because you're not meant to. The will of God is meant to chase you. You're just meant to chase God. God will find your destiny. Do you know how many offended people are sitting in church because they don't have the role in the church they think they should have? And that says, I don't trust deity. That's what they're saying. What they are prophesying out of reason is I don't trust deity because I've trusted God all my life. I never knew I was going to be a preacher. I was a menswear salesman. I didn't know I was going to travel the world. I didn't know God was going to bring my destiny to me. I just fell in love with deity. He began to deal with my identity. We'll talk about that tonight a little bit more. But let me say this, one day I'm working in a menswear store and people come looking for me and go, you need to come and work on our team because as you've been running that home group, God's been moving through that home group and we can see the call of God on your life and my destiny came looking for me. Peter didn't sit there and go, Jesus, I've been hanging out to find out what you want me to do. Hey, Peter, you've had a revelation of who I am. Now I'm going to show you who you are. Out of that, you'll uncover what to do because I'll bring my destiny to you. Not only that, you will have authority because whatever you might, sorry, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. 
You know, the gates of hell are not going to stop what I've called you to do. Ladies and gentlemen, I've never had the ministry of hints. I've never hinted to people what doors I won't open for me. I know I can sit in the back row. I can sit wherever and God will come looking for me. I'd only been gone from our church for five minutes, a church of thousands of people. And I preached the last time I preached there and people sat there, did not know who I was. Who's the old guy that preached in church today? I'm just the founder. I'm just the guy that started this thing. And you know what? I want to live a life that people forget it was me that started it. But know that my identity is not found in my activity. I am a human being, not a human doing. Hi, I'm Pastor Danny. Do you go to work and say, hi, I'm Plumber John? Some people in this country, in New Zealand, and I know it's not in this church, but in this country are so hell bent on titles. The worst form of leadership is having a title. Looking for their credentials. I don't have credentials anymore. I've walked out of denomination because God told me to and go to the whole body of Christ and I'm working across the kingdom in every abomination. I'm in denomination and I'm working right across the board. Why? Because my identity is not found in a ticket I carry in my pocket, but my identity is found in deity who's given me a destiny. And when you have a destiny, when you have a destiny, God will give you authority and you don't have to become authoritarian. A lot of people think authority is pushing your weight around. No, that's just being stupid. But I wanna say this today, I don't have to fight for authority that God's already given me because I know deity. He has given me my identity. I'm gonna keep repeating it until it gets into your spirit because that will establish your destiny. He will give you authority and then you'll live in victory because he goes, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on now, I could have not put it in these words years ago, but for the last 44 years of walking with Jesus, I don't even ask people, are you a Christian anymore? Because Madonna's a Christian. Oprah's a Christian. Everybody's a Christian now. I ask people, are you walking with Jesus? Because I think that makes a better statement. Because Christian name was given to Christians by non-Christians who looked at the Christians and go, you're the Christ ones because of the way you behave. I do another message. I was going to do it today, but I didn't called We Are Citizens of Heaven. And I did do it at uh, Equippers in Auckland. And we need to keep our accent. This is the accent of the church. Deity, identity, destiny, authority, victory. Now, if that's true of every believer in this room, then does this church respond to deity and whether you build another building or whether you don't? Are you just into good ideas or God ideas? Because if it's a God idea, God will show you through deity revelation what your next will be. Your identity as a church in this community will be seen. Your destiny as a church in this community. Can you see how it works corporately as well as individually? The authority you have to have every side of parliament at my son's funeral because of our church's work in the community, to have the leader that's just become the premier of South Australia say to me, I've never been to an event like your son's funeral in my life. We had all the different denominations, the largest funeral in, in, on record in our city because there came a day when deity gave us an identity as a church. He then gave us a destiny for our community 
that has given us authority in the eyes and heads of people that hate the church. And we are walking in victory today simply because of that. And that's for every one of us to have that. Now, I want you to know that I had another way of saying it. I never said it like that until I met that young lady that day. And it's amazing. But my, my life message, my, if you were to say, Pastor Danny, how much longer have I got? A couple more minutes? Really? Mate, my wife hasn't spoken to me for three years. She didn't want to interrupt me. So, I mean, you know. <laughs> I can turbo teeth, you know. Before we were married, I talked, she listened. Only been married five minutes, she talked and I listened. We've been married 44 years, we both talk and the neighbours listen. So, you know, I mean, you know it's, it's just like that. I, I told several churches that we've been married 45 years next year and for our 45th, I'm taking her to Italy because I'm Italian, she's Australian. Well, the churches have gone crazy clapping. I said, but for our 50th anniversary... I'm going to go and get her back. <laughs> Not funny. Not true. Just a break in transmission. But I'm Italian. And if you were to ask me today, if you could only have one chapter of the Bible and the rest of the Bible would be taken off you, what chapter would you choose to live the rest of your life with without a Bible? I would take the chapter called Romans chapter 12. Now, Romans chapter 12 is written to the Italians because they're Romans. And as a young boy, I made a decision very similar to what you've just heard, just different words, and I'm going to give them to you. In fact, if we can put the words up so you can write them down, then I'll take a minute to explain it. Revelation, separation, transformation, activation and demonstration. That's a lot of Asians. I'm Italian, but I hang out with a lot of Asians. As a young boy, having given my life to Jesus, one day I read Romans chapter 12. And God gave me these words to live my life by. Let me read to you again from the message. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God has done for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out Readily recognise what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity or reason, like we said earlier. God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. Now we'll go back to these words, if we can go right back to those words again. And I'm going to walk through them, which is just another way of saying what I've already told you. But I want this to get into your spirit. I do not serve the church. I serve the Christ of the church through the church. Do you know, sometimes I feel like changing the hymns. Some of you won't even remember them. All to Jesus, I surrender. Or maybe we should change it to some to Jesus, I surrender. 
all for Jesus, I'm offended. (laughs) If every offended Christian came back to church today, we wouldn't have buildings big enough to house them. And I want to tell you, I am sick and tired of people saying, I love God, but hate the church. I love God, but I hate the church. You don't have that option because you've got to love what Jesus loves. And Jesus said he would build the church and you can't bash what Jesus said he would build. If I went to Desiree or if I went to Will this morning and said, Will, you're such an amazing son to me. And you are an awesome spiritual son, nearly same hairstyle. I mean, for me, it was hair today, gone tomorrow, and then <coughs> had wavy hair, and then it just waved goodbye. And, and so <coughs> my wife said to me one day, she goes, I said, I've got no hair. So it's just a few little bits, you know, and, uh, and, and, and I've shaved my head. She goes, well, why don't you grow a beard and pull your head in? And <laughs> so I tried to grow the beard, but I haven't been able to pull the head in. But, but if I said to Will, hey, Will, you're amazing, but your wife... She's a pain in the neck. I feel horrible even saying it. Desiree, you're such a beautiful woman of God. But not, not will only she get offended. You'd probably punch my head in. Don't you talk about my wife like that. But we take the wife of God called the church that he said he would build that is not in perfection, but it's in the right direction. And we can bash and bash the Bible and bash the, 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 the family of faith and go, yeah, but I love Jesus. No, you don't. Because the Bible says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And to know the will of God and not to do it is sin. That's, and the will of God is do not forsake the assembling together. Do you know all over Australia, or I don't know what New Zealand's like, people are in church once a month and call it a regular attendance. If you love Jesus, you need to be in church every week, not because you have to, not because you have to, because you want to. Give Him your worship. And so ladies and gentlemen, number one revelation, it says in Romans 12, in view of what He's done for you, give your body to God as a living sacrifice. When my son died, the revelation of who he was hadn't left my life. So how can I walk away from serving Him because I'm offended at Him? No, I've had a revelation of who He is. And in view of what He's done for me on the cross, I don't serve Jesus because of what He's going to do. I serve Jesus because of what He did on the cross. In view, revelation. Then there's a separation. In view of what He's done for you, don't think like the world. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mould, the J.B. Phillips version of the Bible says. If I'm a Christian... I don't serve because people say I'm good. I don't serve because I'm appreciated. I don't volunteer so people will say, oh, thank you so much. The Bible says this is our reasonable service. The least we can do is in view of what you've done for me, in view of what you've done to me, I present my body to you, God. So from Revelation I don't think like people who get hurt think. I separate myself from secular thinking and I think from a supernatural way of thinking because of revelation, there's a separation. When you start doing that, a transformation starts happening in your heart. A little black African girl in Sunday school learnt the the passage of Scripture, for God so loved the the world that He gave His only uh, begotten Son, you know, and whoever believes in Him should not perish but have internal life. 
And she went home and said to her mum, I learnt this scripture. She goes through with it to her mum and, and the mum corrects her. It's not internal life, it's eternal life, darling. And when uh, she said, no, no, it was internal life. I think they're both right. They're both right. When we have a revelation, we separate our thinking from secular thinking because there's internal life that's been taking place, which is transformation. Then from verse 7 to the to verse 9 in Romans 12 are seven giftings that every Christian is one or two of those. There's activation after you've had a revelation, after you've had a separation, after you've had a transformation, then there's activation. Use me, God. See, you won't say use me, God, and then say, oh, I feel used. (laughs) Well, didn't you ask God to use you? And then demonstration... Demonstration from verse 9 to the end of the chapter is the contrasting worlds. Don't pretend to love people like the world does. Really love them. Show affection one to another. Be given to hospitality. You start reading through verse 9 to the end of the chapter. That's one chapter in the Bible that if you threw the entire Bible away and gave me that chapter for the next whatever years God has me on the planet, I can live my Christian life out of a revelation of what He's done for me, out of not thinking like the world, uh, separating my thinking that I don't climb the ladder to get to the top in who's who in the zoo and the church and I don't have to be in the green room and I don't have to be in the special room because I've had a separation that's brought about a transformation and then there's an activation and then there can be a demonstration. Isn't that the same as what I said earlier about deity, identity? It's another way of saying it. And what I've discovered in charismatic churches, I mean charismatic churches, is that we take somebody's activation, number four, we take their gift and we don't ask the first three questions. And we release them into ministry and at some point someone gets offended. Someone gets hurt. If I'm not on that team anymore, I'm leaving the church. Or I'm going to stay in the church, but I'm going to look like I've been sucking lemons for six months and everybody's going to read my body language and know that life really sucketh right now. (laughs) Because there's no ongoing revelation. I got sacked when I was the worship pastor in the first church I was in. Because someone lied about me, but the pastor believed the lie. And I remember they came round to my house with a pizza. The only way to Italian man's heart. <laughs> and I knew it wasn't a free pizza. And the elder of the church goes, Danny, you need to stand down from leading the worship. The team's asked us to reposition you because there's been some accusation that you were too strong with someone or whatever. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, the way you handle this will determine your future. And God said, don't fight for yourself. Take it on the chin. Just accept that God sees everything. There's four sides to every story. If I'm in in anguish with you, there's my side of the story, there's your side of the story, then there's everybody else's opinion. And then there's the truth. And most churchians have a sense of rumour. They love gossip if you're a churchian. But if you're a Christian, you'll say, I want to get to the truth. And I want to tell you, my friends, today that there's a new era coming on the church. An authentic church is the only church that God's going to bless. The, the church that's going to be 
truthful, honest, broken, but open. And we're not going to be churchy and we're going to be Christian. Because you see, if you've had a revelation and there's been a separation, then there's a transformation. You're ready for activation. And usually when people ask you, will you serve? You go, I don't need to do anything. I'm fine. Because you're no longer in love with the role. You're in love with the God of the role. And you say, I don't need to be a pastor. I don't need a title. And God says, you're ready now. You've passed the test. Let there be activation because then there'll be a proper demonstration. You know what? This makes the church authentic. I'm going to close in just a minute. But, you know, I believe God has called me to be a voice in the body of Christ like a chiropractor. Now, I don't know if you like chiropractors. I don't like them. But, you know, what they do, I like them. But, you know, I feel that God is raising up voices. I'm just one of them where we come into the body of Christ and just bring those little adjustments so that we don't become churchian, but we stay Christian so that the world looks at us. And I was talking to you about the accent. You know, my dad's lived in Australia. If the musicians can come, that'd be great. My dad's lived in Australia for 60 years. So have I. And so 60 years in Australia. I was only a little kid when we came. My father still talk like that, you know. They say, hello, Pastor Gogolimuchi. He goes, oh, thanks to God, you know. Life is so good, you know. My mother's in a home. She's dying right now. She's got dementia. She doesn't know who I am. She doesn't know who my dad is. And he sits with her all day and holds her hand. And he goes, oh, thanks to God, you know. That's life, you know. You're not going to think he's Asian. Because his accent gives him away. And I want to tell you, friends, the church needs its accent back. So the world looks at us and by the way we speak, they know, by this shall all men know, you're my disciples. Do you know there are three evidences of being a disciple of Jesus? They're found in John 13 and John 15. By this shall all men, you're my disciples. No, you're my disciples. By the love, you have one. Love is a evidence of a disciple. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. And that will show that you're my disciples. Love, fruit. And then he says, if you remain in me. Continuance. Love, fruit and continuance. How many people have left the church and are not continuing? Because they got offended. Because they didn't stay in Revelation. So there was no separation. No heart transformation. No activation. No demonstration. No eyes on deity. Walk out on your identity. Lose your destiny. No longer have authority and not walking in victory. And we end up being churchians, divorcing churches, marrying other churches, looking, I said in a church last Sunday, why look for the perfect church when you're not willing to deal with the imperfection inside of you and me? Because we take that with us. As I close, can I just say a couple more things as I close? I was flying home from Brisbane and the Holy Spirit, I'm prophesying now. He says to me, Danny, there's three churches that are going to rise up in the last days. There's going to be trendy church. There's going to be traditional church. And there's going to be truth honouring church. And the truth honouring church will always be trendy and will have biblical traditions and will always be on the cutting edge. He says, Danny, don't try to build a trendy church. Don't try to build a traditional church. Build a truth honouring church and you won't be a churchian. You'll be a Christian. I close with this. A churchian is a churchgoer. A Christian is a Christ follower. A churchian is inward looking. A Christian is outward looking. A churchian has personal agendas. A Christian has purpose agendas. 
A churchian is easily offended. A Christian is easily extended. Do you know something, ladies and gentlemen? If you are someone that can be offended, God will arrange for you to be offended. I love that. If you are someone that can be offended, God will let you get offended over and over again because what you don't repeat, you won't repair. Sorry, what you don't repair, you don't repeat. But if you don't repair it, you'll repeat it. So there's offended Christians in every church they go to because they don't deal with the offence. And so the Lord spoke to me and He said, you know, if you are offendable, God will arrange it for offence to come until one day you're not offendable anymore. It doesn't matter, Lord. I know deity. And God, God goes, oh, you've passed that test. So you're okay. You can keep moving now. Don't be offended. Be extended. It's nearly done. Churchians transition from church to church when they get hurt. Christians transform. Tonight, I'm going to show you a chart on how that happens. Churchians react under pressure. Christians respond. Churchians leave when disappointment. When disappointed, Christians will turn disappointment into a God appointment. Churchians live by feelings. Christians walk by faith. Churchians are very religious with their mouth, but Christians are very real with their manner. Churchians seek to be successful. Christians are committed to be fruitful. Churchians seek the, see the needs of others as obstacles. Christians see the need of others as opportunity. Churchians are committed to their friends in church. Christians are committed to biblical unity, which is not blind loyalty, but biblical loyalty. You see, churchians are committed to an average of once a month church attendance, but Christians are committed to Christ resemblance. I don't want to be known just by my church attendance. I want to be known by Christ attendant, the Christ resemblance. I miss my son. My other broken son is restored, but we both sit together and miss his brother. I have a daughter who's not sure where she sits with God now because she's lost her brother. You know, I don't preach at my daughter. She's 35. I just cook with her. I just tell her that I love her. Because I said, you know, Danielle, you've got to have your own revelation. Because if you don't have your own revelation, it can't be dad's call for you. She goes, thank you, Dad, for not pushing me to come to church all the time. I'm on my journey, Dad. Thank you for letting me go on that journey. And it's all because of everything I've preached this morning. If it's not Danielle's revelation, she can't live off of Dad's. If she hasn't seen deity for herself, she'll never know identity. Father, today, while every head's bowed and every eye closed in this room, Thank you for listening to this message recorded at Equipus Church Dunedin. We pray it blessed you. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com.